Well, it's wonderful to be with you all and good to be sharing the Word of God with you, those listening at home as well. So we are in our Essential Matters series, which is working through the book or the letter, at least, of the first first Corinthians. And we find ourselves in chapter 7. And I'm actually doing part two of a talk that Tim started last week. And he opened up and shared the first portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And in, in the time we spent together, Tim shared, uh, used an analogy, an illustration to help us, where Tim used two mountains, if you will. And uh, he talked about a mountain which is sexual satisfaction. We were to, uh, chapter 7 is about marriage and sex. A lot of it's in there. But as you continue through the passage, you'll see it expands much beyond that. So like uh, if you're on Google Maps or something, when you put in a destination, you see where it is. But actually, there's this whole other thing going on, which it is part of. And that's what we're going to be doing today. But Tim mainly talked about a comparison between sexual satisfaction outside of God to selfless joy within God and within relationship with God. And not saying you can't have sexual satisfaction in relationship with God, but then he opened up about marriage and talked really from what it says from Paul here in this scripture is really how marriage is this shared duty of husband and wife. And this is where I want to pick up our thinking again today. I want to talk about responsibility. Is that okay, church? Responsibility. Okay, well, first of all, when we track, on to, track back to responsibility, it's really important that we realize where does responsibility come from? Why? How? And the answer to that is responsibility comes from relationship. Responsibility comes from relationship. And in the context of what we're talking here as a church family, but also looking at the text, which was a group of believers in Corinth and Greece, it was a church family who had a relationship with God. But this relationship with God, to be unpacked, is that God loves people. He loves us. He loves us beyond what we can even understand. And so our responsibility comes from an all-loving Father. But the thing is, with responsibility, I immediately, when I was thinking about this and sharing it with you, I jumped to the point of, well, responsibility comes from design, right? God is our creator and maker, and he's designed us in relationships and in responsibility to one another and other things because he's created us that way. He's designed things to go according that way. But that's not even the case here. It's further than that. Our responsibility comes from a relationship of not just being designed by God, but actually saved by God. Saved by Jesus. Jesus is our saviour, as he is and was for those in Corinth. And so what we have to understand, our responsibility doesn't just come from an all-loving God, all-loving Father, but one who has saved us by his son, Jesus. So our responsibility is in relationship to a saviour, which means if you're following my track of thought here, not only is he our saviour, This is the really important thing to grasp, people. He is our Lord. We have relationship with God, not as a creator simply, not simply as a savior, but as our Lord who loves us in each of those functions. We have responsibility because of our relationship with him. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about relationship, I think of Spider-Man. And uh, the reason I think of that, and course, some of you are, of course, you geek. Um, well, because with great power comes great responsibility. Thank you, Uncle Ben. Important words for us to hold on to even today. But here's the thing. Sometimes when I think about responsibility, my first excuse is, well, I didn't know that was my responsibility. I didn't know I had that kind of power. Just thinking, all right, flashback to my younger years with my parents, when my mum or dad would call me out for not being responsible with my younger brother and sister. They would say, you're responsible for them. Look after them. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know when you left them with me, I was responsible for them. I didn't know I had the power and authority given by you to look after them and watch over them. I'll say this as a reflection of my younger years, but it could be very much today in, in this day and age. I didn't know I was responsible to clear up my own mess. Hey, I didn't know I had that kind of power. And so here's the thing. In the church, in our relationship with God, we don't realize the power we have. Beyond that, we don't realize the relationship we have. A relationship with an all-loving father who gave his son Jesus. Jesus gave everything for us so that we could have a relationship with him that he could be our Lord. And so my heart today to share with you is that we wouldn't be ignorant. We wouldn't be ignorant of our relationship with God. And we wouldn't be ignorant of our responsibility before God. And so what we're going to do, we're going to open up the scriptures Chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to take from verse 24, and we're going to read through till 35. And if you've got your Bibles, open them up. It may look like a weird place to start, because at least in my NIV Bible, it's like at the end of a previous paragraph. But hopefully you'll see the intentionality of reading it from verse 24. So this is what Paul has written to the church in Corinth. He says this, Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. <laughs> this proves that Paul is pastoral. This one passage, because I, I, I find it really hard when I read Paul to be like, this, this guy's really caring and kind and, you know, relatable. Even though he was single, he realised there's many concerns and he wants to spare us of that. Let me continue to read to give more context. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man 
is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. See, Paul here, who never got married, a single man, feeling and living a life of selfless joy, we talked about that last week, is encouraging people to stay as they were because they, when they came into their Christian experience in their Christian walk, all these situations, relational conversations were happening. But here I think what we get is Paul just sharing, and I love the way he's set this text up. You'll see it mirrors the beginning of chapter 7, is that in terms of responsibilities of at least a married person, a husband and wife, notice how he takes the time to write out for each individual, husband and wife. It's a mutual duty, a mutual responsibility. You have it here, you have it earlier on when we're talking about the body and talking about sex. But what I think really brings this into a clearer understanding, if we just skip down a few more verses to verse 38, hopefully this will give a bit more of a clarity on the whole thing of Paul's understanding of marriage and singleness. It says this, So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. See, Paul has a high view of marriage, but he understands that within marriage, within the covenant relationship, there is responsibilities, duties between husband and wife. Before the Lord, by the way, in a Christian marriage, that, that keeps them, that's a priority. It's a responsibility that the single person does not have. And so a lot of the time I feel in Christian circles or within church, we see marriage as a higher form of you know, relating to God than being single. Whereas Paul here is actually saying, no, no, no. Actually, it's not wrong to be married, but he's actually saying the single person is more free to serve the Lord because he He or she does not have those responsibilities that you'd find within a marriage covenant. But both are good. And within both, you are still responsible before the Lord. And we'll see more of that as we dive deeper into the text. But can I just encourage you from this point on, regardless of your marital status, your situation, there's a bigger thing here about our responsibility to our relationship with God. That's what we need to be concerned about. And so we get an unpacking of this, but not just to do with responsibility. There's something else in terms of our responsibility Paul sort of brings out here. We're responsible with our relationship with God and our relationships to things in time. Let me just pick it up again for you. In verse 26, it talks about the present crisis. Because of the present crisis, I think this way, I think that way. It should be better this way or that way. And, and so some scholars believe that's to do with, you know, there's persecution. But if you follow the reading of the text, he picks up this theme, this line of time. In verse 29, he says, time is short. 
And then again in verse 31, he says, the present form is passing away. So regardless of maybe what is going on in the world at that time and things going on with maybe persecution or restriction, I think what Paul's actually encouraging his readers and Corinth and us today is to realize that there is more to life than just this time that we have. In fact, in a relationship with God, a believer is part of eternity. He joins with eternity. We have an eternal God. We've sung about Jesus being the risen king of heaven. And so we have a relationship with him, which goes on forever. But here's the issue. We live so much consumed with this portion of eternity. And this is our lives, this side of eternity. This is the present crisis. This is my present crisis. This is your present crisis. We're so consumed with satisfaction and living our lives for our pleasure and and doing things right here for our own good. And don't realize there's all of this that we get when we're in a relationship with God, all of this. And here's the thing, how we live our lives in this short bit, the decisions we make, the sacrifices we make, the attitudes and behaviors we take hold of in this bit affects this bit. We have a relationship with God and we can still live consumed to ourselves in this bit. And I think Paul's heart is, look, you're fortunate to have experienced God's grace and mercy in your life, so you have this looking ahead of you. But what about those who don't have that? What about those who just have this and then snip (laughs) their life? People are perishing. And it's the same today. Without a relationship with God, you don't get all this. You just get this. And that's why people are so consumed with living this bit for themselves. But here's the thing. We can use this bit to impact other people's eternity. We get to be a witness we have a responsibility in our relationship with God to make disciples, to share the good news. And this is where I think Paul's heart is. Despite your relationships, despite your relationships to people and to things, this is what we should be thinking of in the context of our relationship and walk with Jesus, not just this. What can I get out of my relationship with God on this side? Okay? And this is what Paul is bringing. Thank you, Steph. So now we've unpacked that. I want to talk a bit about that red part, how we go about life in the red part. And because Tim really helpfully used the imagery of a mountain, which we found out was the iceberg for the uh, kind of the s- sexual satisfaction, I just want to open that up to just talk about satisfaction in life. So if you want to follow me with what I'm going to do, I'm just going to take from verse 29 onwards. So if this is the highs of life in your red part before you go to the grave, before you go to be with Jesus forever, and these are the lows, here's the things that we can build and think this is what life is all about. And so he mentions marriage, okay? Or, shall we say, our marital status, relationships. Oh, this always falls off. You know what? I'm just going to use this. I 
I don't think my ears are very small, but anyway, this always happens to me. He then goes on to talk about happiness. Now, happiness you can get from all sorts of things, and we'll unpack that. But we can be obsessed with happiness. The language in the NIV is to be... Um, let me just bring it back to that, actually. It'd be good to use the word. Engrossed. <laughs> to be engrossed. I wonder sometimes if, like, if we're so engrossed in this, that's gross to God. That's not good towards God. But here we go. Marriage. Happiness. It talks about goods and things. And then it talks about... Well, in the Greek, it says dealings. It's quite hard. It says the world using. So I'm just going to simply put activities and affairs. And here's the point. There's also the negative side, our lows, and it talks about weeping. If we go on in the text, it talks about interests, and then it talks about concerns. And here's the flip side, if you will, of the iceberg. When you're not getting the highs of this, you could be experiencing them in the lows, right? So I'm not happy. Things aren't going well. So down here, there can be fear. Down here, there can be anxiety. Down here, there can be a whole host of things, which is in relationship to what's not happening topside, the mountaintop, the peak. And Paul's saying, please, please don't be engrossed by these things. Don't let your life be engrossed with all that. Think in respect to the whole of eternity and your relationship with God. You see, there is satisfaction. There are good things in here. But actually, the satisfaction comes from relating, loving God and knowing God and experiencing God in these things and just as as Susie had mentioned earlier on, even in low moments, to know the love of God and relationship with God, the experience of God through the highs and through the lows. Now, I'm going to be honest with you and just share a few things in my life that will hopefully help unpack for you, or maybe you'll be relate, you can relate to them, but some, some of you might not, and that's fine, but I'm sure across the highs and lows of life, God will put, drop something into your heart and take note of. You see, for me, when it comes to marriage, we can talk about me and Hannah, my wife. Yes, there's concerns there. There's things there, as in I can be engrossed with my marriage. And it says, in, in an important way, actually, to take hold of the covenant promises I made to her. And in that way, by doing that, I'm actually serving the Lord as well, just in a different way to a single person. But how about my relationship to my mum and dad? You know, for a long time when I was younger, I was engrossed with trying to please my parents, particularly because I chose a career path they would have never chosen for me. And then, because of that, my journey was a journey of trying to prove to them that it was going to be okay. I will be able to take care of a wife and a family together. And still to this day, you know, that in my weaker moments, I want to show that this was the right. I want to prove this. How about me as a, maybe as a parent? Maybe there's some parents in the room. And you think, well, 
I can be so engrossed. This is new to me. Since my youngest has started going to school, I, I at times, am engrossed with how she's doing in her relationships. I'm so concerned about what friendship she has, how she's developing, how she does play, how she does it. And I, I'm not living with God in it. I'm just living completely unaware of his involvement in my life and trusting in him and even trusting God in my daughter's life. Just something like that. I don't know, many, many of you maybe brothers or sisters in that relationship you could become engrossed in. Maybe at work. Now, at work, I think of more to do with activities and fairs. But with your colleagues, people at work, you may be engrossed with getting their trust with how they think about you, how they feel towards you, and how skillful you are. You care about their approval. These are things that consume us, that we become obsessive about to the point that we forget the relationship we have with God, the power we have with God, and our responsibility to God and to the world he so loves. One of the challenges um, I find just personally for me, when it talks about interests, and some, we all have certain interests, but um, the inner geek of me was inspired yesterday. I went to Smith's Toy Store, not for me, but it may as well have been. I went with my daughter to buy a birthday present to take to a party, and I went down this aisle, and I'm a Nintendo head. I know many of you don't know what that means, but I'm just into my games. And there was Pokemon, there was Zelda, there was Mario, there was Sonic, and there was all these things. I was like, oh, my days, I want them all. Uh, I, I seriously considered spending money on this stuff. For me, forget, we went for something else. This is for me, and I know this is just a funny thing, but I, I felt that sense of becoming obsessed about it and caring about it. And then you just, you just take a step back and you think, wow, there's people fleeing the Ukraine for refuge. And I'm thinking whether I want to spend all this money on something just for me. I'm not doing that as a guilt trip. I'm just trying to help you figure out when you just take a step back. Remember, as this is the zooming out and seeing things in the grand scheme of things, seeing things in the grand eternity of things. It puts a different perspective on you, and it frees you. Now, I, I, I can say to you today, I didn't buy anything yesterday, but I can't promise you that won't happen some other time. <laughs> I, was, I made a mental note of that, but that, that's just a silly thing. But something else I've realized people can be really sucked into, engrossed in, is appearance. And I'm one of that. What clothes do I wear? Where do I buy my clothes from? What trainers I wear? I literally, like I mentioned, I don't know why the word came out, but maybe that was something God is putting on my heart. It's like, um, I'm addicted to trainers. Like, I, look, I spend so much time looking at them. I can't afford them, but I look at them. <laughs> and uh, I just realized it's appearance. So that, there you go. There's things. But actually, how do people see us? How do people perceive us? Or maybe it is physical appearance. And I'm not having a go. Like, I understand with media, that's what we're thrown at all the time. We care so much about how we look what physical features we have or don't have, and how we appear. But it goes beyond that, right? And I can so easily become engrossed in that. And I want you to hear my heart. There's a balance here. I'm not trying to be religious and say, no, 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 no. That's not even what Paul's saying. Paul's just saying, don't be engrossed with all here. Don't set up camp here. We're called to live a life of love towards God. And we're responsible to God in our relationships with 
other relationships. We're responsible to God with our relationship with happiness. We're responsible to God with our relationship with things, items, products. We're responsible to God with our relationship with activities and the affairs of every day, with our work, with our employment. And we're responsible to God when things aren't working out or these things aren't as we want them to be. We're responsible to give these feelings to God and to trust him. And to remind ourselves it's not about this mountaintop. It's about the mountaintop of having a relationship with God because Jesus died on a mountain, which we learned about last week, Golgotha. Jesus gave it all so that we can have life and life to the full. This verse continues, uh, this scripture continues to verse 35, and it says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So he, before that, he says how in a marriage relationship, you're divided. So I'm going to take out that word divided for now, because I'm married, I'm favoring myself here. But um, actually, we can be distorted in our approach to God's, as well as in our approach to how we view ourselves. And Jesus, when he did his Sermon on the Mount, whenever that was, as great, we love the teachings of Jesus. There was a very, like, big deal word he put in there where he said people would say, we've done this in your name. We've done that in your name. We've prophesied. We've served. And Jesus says, I never knew you. That, that's got to hit home. In our love and in our relationship with God, we can even seek to impress God or live to get God's approval, and we're not relating to him. It's about relationship, people. It's about the Father's heart. He loves you so much that he just wants you to experience him in all of that. He wants you to experience him. That's the first responsibility, really. It's your relationship with him. And if you have that, then you'll realize, you'll recognize the power you have in him. What authority God has given you to bring change to this world and transformation. So we can live a distorted life or we can live a devoted life. You can't be partially devoted. That's the whole point. And again, it's very easy on the Western side of the world to compartmentalize, right? So... Maybe Sunday is God's day, the rest of the week is my day. Maybe work is to do with me, and then family time, yeah, God comes into that. No, the thing is, God wants it all. It's like even in our homes and in our lives, we, we'll give him a certain portion. We'll give you this, I'll give you that. I'll give you maybe this small portion to do with work, but not all of it. God is saying, relate to me in everything. You're responsible to bring everything to me. And it's so easy for us to give God our house and say, right, you can have, have up to the living room, but what happens in the bedroom? What's in the attic? What, what's in this cupboard? Please don't look at the mess in there, God. Please don't. Please, please, please don't open that cupboard. But actually, the Lord wants it all. And there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to fear. I'll say this. In the way that I have sometimes misguided... <laughs> I've misunderstood my relationship with my parents or with others, and I've put, put it in the wrong way. I've been engrossed by that. That's the same way I've approached God sometimes, if I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I've realized that in my moments where I don't think I am as I should be, 
when I think, oh, I should be somewhere else or I should be doing something else or I've done this for you, God, so I should be here or I've stayed here or I haven't done this or I've gone this place. You know, those kind of thoughts when you're not (laughs) feeling that you are where you're supposed to be and you're putting these kind of measures on yourself or success or experience on yourself. When you're going through all this, and I I just have to come to a point where God had had to humble me and say, David, you're not working towards my approval. You're not working towards God's approval. You don't need to impress God. Don't work towards approval. Work from his approval. You have a relationship with God because of Christ Jesus. And because of Christ Jesus, you have the seal of approval on your life by the Holy Spirit. So let's not treat God like somebody we're trying to impress. We don't need to. There is no need. But what there is a need to do is to know him. Relationship. I want the Lord to say to each and every one of us that he knows us when we meet him face to face. Let no one be ignorant of our relationship with God. Let you yourself not be ignorant of the relationship of the power and responsibility you have because of the Lord's love in your life and the sacrifice he's paid for in full right now. So what we're going to do, the band are going to come up and we're just going to take some time to respond. And I think with this message, a response of asking the Lord can be quite painful. Maybe it's uncomfortable at least. We're asking the Lord to point out, where are we engrossed, God? Where are we obsessed? Where are you not getting the love? Where are you not getting the fellowship that you are worthy of? And so I don't want to rush this, but I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to just start ministering to our hearts to maybe show where we need to give more to God, where we need to bow down, where we need to say, Lord, be Lord of the entirety of my life, of this relationship, of this situation, of my attitude towards things, or my behavior in certain areas. The band are going to sing a song. And let this song be sung over you as you just ask the Lord, what is it, Lord? So, Heavenly Father, I just invite your Holy Spirit right now to come and minister to every heart. Father, we don't want to have anything in the way. Help us. Yeah, Lord God, I just thank you for the reminder. It's actually your kindness that leads to repentance, Lord. So I pray in this place there would be no fear from you. But, Lord God, we would welcome you to come in and share what it is, Lord God, that you want to put right, you want to make right with us. Father, have your way. Spirit of God, give us discernment to know what you are doing right now and saying right now. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what it is on your heart for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.